Good evening, everyone, and welcome to The Real Science Exchange, the podcast where leading scientists and industry professionals meet over a few drinks to discuss the latest ideas and trends in animal nutrition. Hello, my name is Scott Sorrell, and I'm going to be one of your co-hosts here tonight. Uh, this is one of my favorite sessions that we usually do, and this is the Journal Club. Uh, these are very similar to the journal clubs that are held at the universities around the country and around the world. And we have our professor emeritus from The Ohio State University, Dr. Bill Weiss here once again. Bill, thank you for coming and joining us. The one thing I will point out that's kind of different about this one is one, we're in person and two, we're at the World Dairy Expo. So that's kind of special. I get to see you guys and meet you guys face to face. And so, um, Bill, would you mind uh, introducing your guest that you brought with you tonight and then the paper that we're going to be reviewing? Hey, the, the guest tonight is a Wisconsiner, which is why I wore red. <laughs> It's actually Scarlet. That's what I thought it was. Scarlet. It's uh, Dr. Vic, Vic Carrero. Um, he's an extension, mostly an extension researcher at the uh, University of Wisconsin. I don't know if you're a professor or associate professor. Pro- professor. Professor. Congratulations. Thank you. And he's done a lot of work, um, which, which I followed for years, is on how to group cows uh, both economically and nutritionally. What's the best way to group cows and then to formulate diets? Tonight's PubCast stories are brought to you by Reassure Precision Release Choline. Reassure is the most researched encapsulated choline on the market today, consistently delivering results to your transition cows of higher peak milk, reduced metabolic disorders, and even in utero benefits to her calf leading to growth and health improvements. Visit balchem.com to learn more. And the paper tonight is, is a little different. It's actually a review paper, so it's going to be discussing several years of his research. So we're going to talk more than just about this paper. And the other thing, this is Journal Dairy Science a few years ago started a program of publishing literature reviews written by graduate students. And these are quite competitive. Not You can submit them, but they're, to get picked is, is quite an honor. And this was a, a graduate student literature review called Considerations for Grouping in Dairy Farms. And I like, Vic, if you'd start, we need to give the grad students some credit here. So do you talk just a little bit about who did this, what, what's he doing now, and, and so on? So. For sure. I mean, the student's uh, name is Jorge Barrientos. He's originally from Costa Rica. I was in touch with him long time before he was able to come, and he was always eager to start a career and working on dairy farms and nutrition and so he joined my group in 2017 and he was for his master's he did a amazing job uh, published a couple of papers one of those is that one that we're uh, looking today and today actually he is a phd student in cornell in uh, christian reed's lab and working in nutrition as well uh, about feed uh, composition uh, uh, analysis well, congratulate him on a well-written review. With grouping, um, would I like to first go off and if, what, what should a farmer, cons- based on your research, if they're forming groups, what are some of the criteria, ma- the major criteria in forming groups? I, I, I do think farmers have a great opportunity to actually have animals with homogeneous requirements on their nutrition to be fed more accordingly to those requirements. So the, the basic idea, and I, and I would like to emphasize this, it's, it's a simple one. It's if we have cows that are more alike in their nutritional requirements in the same group, the diet 
that we're going to provide that that group is going to be closer to the animals and therefore uh, the requirements are be uh, better met. Uh, the, the whole concept of nutritional grouping is that if we have a large group of animals with a lot of variability, the diet that we're going to provide to that group, it's going to overfed a large number of animals and underfed a large number of animals. If we have smaller groups and importantly, with more homogeneous requirements within those groups, uh, our chances of having a diet closer to the requirements is much higher. So you're, you're saying the major criterion would be then production, assuming same breed and all within a herd, but it would be milk production would be the primary driver for grouping? And not, not only production. I, I think uh, the, the underlying concept would be uh, a number of fac factors that will determine the nutritional requirements. Production is a very important one, but another would be the stage of lactation as well. Uh, so daisy milk uh, lactation number, uh, primiparous likely would be different than multiparous animals, uh, as well as uh, even the stage of pregnancy will make a difference. And all those things could easily nowadays be computed and determine a very good number on what's the requirement of the animal. And therefore, we can use that density of requirement to group animals alike. And so what role uh, does, does herd size play in being able to come up with a homo homogeneous group that's large enough to, to create a group? Well, that's a very interesting question because uh, I do believe uh, it's not only the size of the whole herd, it's the size of the pens in which we're going to put those animals, right? So our opportunity, I think, depends, at least in the U.S., in which we uh, manage animals in pens, the pen size is the one that's going to determine the diet of those animals. Until we are able to provide precision feeding at the cow level, that luckily it will come at some day, until we don't reach that point, uh, I think our best bet is to provide a diet based on the pen level. So that uh, somehow is regardless of the size of the whole herd uh, of the farm. Bill, I just realized I have failed to introduce my co-host this afternoon. So Dr. Pete Morrow, welcome back once again to uh, the Real Science Exchange. Uh, Pete's one of our technical surface representatives here at Balchem. So. Welcome. Look forward to your participation there. It's great to be here, Scott, with a couple of distinguished people and uh, going to try to learn a lot today. Yeah. If I get this question, or I used to get this question a lot when I'd go to farms and talk about grouping, they say, okay, what if I want biggest bang for the buck, what would be the first separation you made? In other words, what would be the first You've got a whole one group TMR. Correct. What would be the first separation you would recommend on a, on a I know it's farm specific, but just in general. But I think that's a uh, great question and a great point of discussion. Uh, and, and my answer right on top would be primiparous from multiparous animals. <laughs> yeah, so you think the same. Yeah, yeah, I think that, that will make a difference. And. Luckily, there is a growing number, I would say, of farms that are yeah. going that direction. I think you know one of the advantages of that is that it doesn't necessarily mean you need two different diets, if that's your separation. 
you might, but you don't necessarily need to if it's just what, what, uh, mature cows and prima pairs. So it's a simple, simple thing to apply, but it's very effective, I think. I, I think okay. I agree, yes. So what's the next separation after you've got two-year-olds separated from cows? Now the guy says, I can have one more group. What would be your next group? What would be the next group? And um, I mean, if, if it is only that option, I would go with production level. I would go, and production would be heavily related to the stage of lactation, obviously, right? So I would have a peak lactation group separate of the rest. Do you think it's more important if he could only, again, because of farm size, say you can have two-year-olds and then two other groups, would you separate the mature cows into high and low productions or the prima paris into high and low? I think I would go with the, multi that's a very good question once again, I, and I think a good point, uh, I would go with the, with the multipers first. Uh, I think our data, the, the way I, I recall, I think shows more variability within the multipers, and therefore separating them will give us better opportunity to provide better diets to them. And then we'll go one step further, now you can have one more group. What would be... So if that's the case, for example, we are talking about three groups, right? One would be the first lactation. Yep. Let's leave them alone. Okay. And I think that's great. And then I would go with the multiparous and I will use not only a stage of lactation or production, but I will use actually a full, nowadays we can do that very easily, the full calculation of the nutrient requirement per animal. And so it will be some somehow agnostic to the stage of lactation or production or size of the animal. However, when we do the calculation of density of nutritional requirements for each animal, somehow it will group those animals that are in peak in the same group uh, and the late lactation in another group, for example. Yeah. Bill, can I kind of clarify, is this just lactating cows or are we talking about dry cows as well? Are they in the in, in the discussion? I, I should have been clear. I'm always assuming everybody separates dry cows, and so this would just be on my my just questions have been just for lactate. Yeah, and so they do in the uh, U.S. and in other parts of the world we do not, and so yeah, maybe maybe we can dig into that later as well. So, to me, the, that would be the first separation. Okay. Yes, and and I I would add actually to the dry the fresh cows, likely they will require their own. Uh, in, in one big study we did in 2016, which probably was the most sophisticated one, uh, including uh, Lou Armentano on that analysis, uh, actually part of the analysis uh, separate right away the fresh cows as a different group of animals. And how long do you leave them in there? Uh, uh, three weeks, 21 days. I, I, I think, too, the fresh cows, the, you know, intake and milk are co highly correlated, except in the fresh cow. Yeah. And so they need a special diet. I, uh, I yeah. Think without yeah. It, if you can manage that, that's a lot of bang for them. But we're not doing a lot of fresh cow diets in the United States. So, yeah. And part of, you know, it's facilities. It's going to be a small pen. There's only so much labor, so much pen. So I, I can understand some, but I think it has tremendous benefit. And would you prioritize that above, um, you know, separating the heifers from the cow? No, heifers first, uh, fresh cow second, production third, in my opinion. Vic okay. might have a different I, I would agree. Yep. Okay. And the other question is, you know, we talk about nutrient requirements. There's a lot of nutrients. 
Exactly. Um, would you feed all these? You know, in the old old time, we'd we'd say, okay, we're going to formulate a diet for ten pounds more milk than what the group was feeding. That's kind of what we did, which meant protein, energy, everything was fed over at the same amount. Is that the right way to? Does your research say all these nutrients should be overfed for, for, compared to the average? The same. I mean, I mean what what the the background about that the literature says i mean there is this old concept about the lead factors right so basically you pick the average of the animals and you put one standard deviation you go with the 83 percentile cow the closest to that 83 percentile would be the diet for which we uh formulated diet right it's it's interesting to me uh i'm not a nutritionist by training we just enter into this topic from the standpoint of view how we can improve the nutritional uh, accuracy in, in farms from the standpoint of view of doing grouping or other things. And, and then it was very surprising to me that there is not a clear standard uh, talking with nutritionists and farmers, how should be the right way to actually formulate a diet for a group of cows. So, even at the point, I, I think we are talking to a little different problem. One problem is how we group the cows, and we discussed something of that. Now, if we assume we have the right groups, still we have a, another uh, issue to handle, that is how we formulate the best diet for that group. And so how, how, would, you, how would you do it then? Let's say we, you've got average milk production. Yes. Let's say the body weights are close, and what? So, so there are, uh, I mean, uh, I, I, think, I think a good start is the 83 percentile. I don't think it's the right way either because that assumes in certain way that we are talking about a bell-shaped normal distribution of animals and that's not normally what happens in the groups depending on how they end up. And so therefore, I mean, there have been several studies, I think very good one from your uh, research, from the Ohio University's Norman Saint-Pierre. I mean, he proposed different lead factors for different number of groups, actually, that I think it's a very interesting way to go. And I think that has been done based on the idea of optimize the economics of each one of those groups. We did similar thing, and I think we, we did a concept that we call OptiGroup, basically. So we can assume a level of production for each one of the groups and a cost of the diet for each one of those groups. And uh, nowadays we have a very good computer systems and we have very good data flowing to the dairy farm systems. And so it's not that difficult actually to optimize and say, which one level of diet is gonna provide me the best milk income over feed costs for each one of the groups and actually going beyond for all the groups in the lactating herd. And luckily there are ways to do it. I think we are at the point in which we can promote that more uh, on the industry to adopt those kind of things. And you know, one thing you need, you, you say the 80th percentile, 82, you need a measure of variance. Yes. And, you know, in the past, you got bulk tank milk. That's what you knew. I mean, you might have been on DHI. You might have got a little bit of cow variance. But today we can get, you know, individual daily milk weights. So how would you incorporate that? If, you, if a farm can get cow milk weights daily, how do you incorporate that into formulation? 
Well, I I, I think that's that's the we we are a, a very nice time in which we have all this data flowing with the system, uh, including the milk weights, right? In many farms that we can use. How we incorporate the, the question specifically? It's it's basically, in in my opinion, is we can calculate for every single cow, every single day, what is the requirement of nutrients for that milk that has been extracted for that animal, right? And if we put on top of that, the weight of the animal that we may not have on a daily basis, hopefully we, we do, and hopefully soon we will have that, but we can have a good estimate of that body weight. Uh, in, in the worst case scenario, the animal will be weighed at least once in a lactation. And we can follow a very typical curve so we can have a good idea what the milk weight of that animal is. Those two are very important points to have a good idea of the nutritional requirement of the animal. But it, you think, you know, with milk, it's still going to be 70 or 80% of the requirement for nutrients. So even if you don't have any body weights, and there are farms that the only body weights they get is when they sell cows. Exactly. So their body weight, they might not know that variance, but if they could just measure variance in milk production, that's going to account for a lot of the variation. For, for most of it, right? I mean, I, I think, yeah, looking at the data and, and putting some numbers, I think um, 10 megacalories could be attributed to the body weight, basically, and, and 30 or 40 would be the milk product. So that's the kind of the difference, the, 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 the relationship one against the other. I, I do think, yes, I agree completely. We, we could do that only with the milk. Uh, but also I would add that even we can estimate a body weight very simple nowadays. So we can have a good good idea of the body weight of the animal. Has your research come up with like optimal lead factors, which I don't like that term, but you know what it means that the degree of overfeeding. Has your research come yes. up with optimal? Yes. What what kind of numbers do you get? Uh, it was interesting. In, in that uh, paper I mentioned uh, from Kalantari uh, in 2016, that we, we, we blow a full uh, individual animal uh, uh, model in which we can follow every single animal from start to the end. Uh, we found actually for energy different than protein. And it's very dependent on the number of groups, obviously. Uh, I believe, if I remember well, for the three groups, the energy level would not be much more than 50%. Uh, however, the protein will go about 70% uh, of, of the what, what 70% you, percentile. Okay, so the, percentile, yeah. the energy you'd balance for the mean, basically. Yes, Twenty percent above, roughly. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, and and I think one of the conclusions of that paper, very interestingly, is because the way we are feeding nowadays with one TMR or or overfeeding, we are we are encountering this uh, issue of overconditioned animals in late lactation, right? Since we've got a veterinarian, <laughs> have you considered health and and grouping and? How does how does health fit cow health would fit into grouping or have you looked at that at all yet? Uh, not directly. Uh, that's I think a, a next step. Uh, but we we can safely and confidently say that diets more closer to the requirements will improve 
the health and welfare of the animals. One point is the one I mentioned before, over-conditioned animals, overweight animals, it's a big issue, mostly uh, in the transition period, in the next lactation, that many farms have uh, uh, to, ch to handle or they have challenge with them. The other would be uh, the opposite, under-conditioned animals. In that simulation study that I, I mentioned, we did with uh, Lure Mentano, we, we actually balance the, the metabolic energy on the animals uh, under different scenarios. And, and I mean, uh, we need it actually to control, to not go below two, the body condition score or above 4.5 when we had only one diet, for example. So actually the point is that it's likely that we can encounter those extreme cases when we have uh, diets that are far away from the requirements of the animals on, on actual dairy farms. So this would allow us to maybe even have tighter regulation around that body condition score. So tighter goals are... are... Exactly. I, 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 would, I would agree with that, yes. I know recently we just had a, another podcast we talked about, uh, you know, why don't cows stay around longer? And we, we know that older cows actually, uh, typically we uh, are, are not uh, maintaining body weight, body condition. And uh, maybe this is a possibility or an opportunity that we could do to target those older cows, those, you know, third, fourth plus lactation animals to make sure they're achieving, you know, uh, higher, higher body condition scores later in lactation. Yeah. And, and stay longer in the, in the, in the herd. Yeah. And uh, you, you've spent a lot of time in your papers on economics. Yes. So uh, that was, that was, that, that was the goal, the underlying goal. Yeah, so many what's the, Put some dollars on grouping. What's the cost, or to start with the, the return, but then I want to go into cost a little bit. What are, what are you found? Yes, uh, very good point. Uh, before going to the actual dollar values, I, I should mention that most of our dollar value, it's almost exclusively from the savings costs of diets. And why I mentioned that at the beginning, because we do believe in many of the papers we conclude that the value would be much higher if we would have accounted for the increased productivity. And the reason we didn't account for the increased productivity is because we don't have enough data to confidently put in our models how much we would better production we would expect. So I just want to put that in front. Only in saving costs, uh, we found Go ahead. Just, so to, just to be clear, then so you assume no change in milk production. Exactly. Yes. Okay. Exactly. Okay. Yes. Uh, so based on that uh, assumption, that is one additional in favor of the grouping, we found uh, between 30 and $40 per cow per year, moving from one group to two groups, and about 45 to 50 dollars moving from two groups to from one group to three groups and above three groups the value will increase a little more so this is the law of uh, diminishing returns right uh barely we will we will recommend more than three groups unless the herd is too big and depending on the pens and the conditions and the management of the farm so 
uh, the main value we found was between one and two groups and one and three groups. And that was consistent uh, in several projects, in several research uh, uh, undertakings. And actually that also agrees with uh, other research from uh, other labs like uh, Norman Saint-Pierre and the, the previous research from McGillier, for example, originally. Yes. I, I think this is why it's important to talk about those lead factors because my early days in, in practice, we'd have a, you know, somebody who you know, just started a, a larger dairy and they'd, they'd want to do grouping according to production. And it was always a self-fulfilling self -fulfilling prophecy, meaning this late lactation cow, we got to put her on the cheap diet and it was formulated for 10 pounds of milk less. And when you put her in there, by golly, you got 10 pounds of milk less. She was being underfed. And uh, then that took the milk production out of her and uh, she leveled off, but then she tended to gain a lot of weight because uh, now she wasn't producing as well. So I think these lead factors, so we're, you know, it's a better target than what we were doing before. And uh, that's probably where the success will come from. Yes, yes. I yeah, I, I think I, I agree with, with, with that point. I, still, I think we, we have opportunities to both, to better, let, let me try to rephrase. The, the, again, there are two points. One is group the animals, and the other is a better diet for those grouped animals. And as, as uh, Bill was asking at the beginning, what are the, the main criteria to group the animals, right? So we, we do have, for example, a, a decision support tools in my website, which is dairy management uh, in Wisconsin. And, and we show the difference by grouping only by days in milk, the animals, only by production level, only by production uh, corrected energy milk, and, uh, corrected energy milk and uh, the, the, the requirement by body weight, for example. And consistently, all those methods perform less good than the what we call the cluster right in which we use two main nutrients like energy and protein for example if we could put another nutrient there it would be even better and we cluster the animals based on the requirements on those important nutrients so once we get that the next point is the lead factor uh, how we group them what we decide, and, and I think that's interesting and going to the fact that many of these papers have been done under the, the, the underline of the economics, was um, uh, rather than, than looking at the specific lead factor, let's look at the combination of diets that's going to produce us the best milk income or feed costs. And, you know, these costs, I'm assuming you kind of use average feed cost. Yes. So in today's environment with very high feed costs, the savings could be more. Exactly. And in feed, cheap feed, it may not be worth as much. So there is an opportunity to also uh, adjust depending on, on the times, right? Uh, just to clarify and, and make sure we, we, we didn't use, in our analysis, basically, uh, we use the cost of the nutrient itself, regardless of what the source, the original source of the of the feed, the yeah, from which feed the nutrient will come. Yeah. But kind of an average nutrient yeah. cost over yeah. time. I was also impressed with the increase in nitrogen efficiency that was found in the paper, considering that 
you know, dairy cows are fairly lowly nitrogen efficient. It was a pretty significant increase in nitrogen efficiency. Can you speak to you know some opportunity along with nitrogen? Ex excellent point. Excellent point because one thing we are doing, and I think this is important point to mention that what what we are doing with this concept of the nutritional grouping, we are we are improving feed efficiency without changing the genetics of the animal. Right. That's another way we can do a lot of inroads on on feed efficiency, but by using what we have on the farm and the current conditions, we can improve feed efficiency by just grouping the animals. We have a better income or feed cost, and at the same time, we are saving nutrients that would be wasted into the environment. One of those is nitrogen, another would be phosphorus, and, and I can assure you the same will happen with greenhouse gases emissions, for example. Right. So in, in the case of uh, nitrogen, I believe the saving will be like 15 grams per cow per day, which is uh, substantial and, and it will it will improve. Uh, I don't I don't remember exactly the percentage wise, but it is important, as you say, because we are having only between 25 and 35 percent of efficiency of nitrogen consumed to to convert it to milk. Right. So so every percentage point we improve on there, it will be significant and important. So what is the optimal frequency of, of moving from one group to the next? I know we've talked about weekly, bi-weekly. Yes. Excellent. What are your thoughts? Once again, excellent, excellent point in, in my opinion, because that's a, a very common question we have uh, commonly. And and I think this gives me the, the opportunity, I appreciate the question, to, to talk a little bit more the other project that Jorge, the same one, uh, wrote this paper, did during his master. And, and I think it's very interesting because this was actual data from a farm in Wisconsin, not far from where we are now, large farm, about 2,400 lactating cows, in which using historical data, and luckily uh, through this dairy bank project we have, we can we are able to collect a lot of data and integrate data on the farm. We were able actually to to follow this for historical data for years and follow, I think this is very interesting as well, follow what the farm normally does. And so the idea was propose some tweaks in the management to improve the nutritional accuracy, but without changing drastically what they normally are doing in the farm. And in that farm, they're moving cows every week, right? Uh, and that doesn't mean that they are reorganizing all the cows every week, but they are flowing cows from different pens every single week. In this farm, there are 14 pens. It's a large herd for the lactating cows. And for example, there are three pens for the primiparous pig lactation and another three pens for the multiparous uh, pig lactation cows. But unfortunately, those three groups of animals and each one of those has about 180 cows receive exactly the same diet. Okay, so we are, we are, we are talking about uh, of more than 400 cows in each one of these peak of lactation, primiparous and, and, and multiparous, that are separated already in three pens, but they receive the exact same diet. Another important point, those diets are predefined. 
it doesn't depend on which cows end on those pens. They are being done ahead of time because on the prices of the feeds in the market. And they will remind those diets for between three and six months. The nutrition will change the diet according to the prices of the feeds, not based on the nutritional requirements of the cows. So those are important points that Jorge worked with the data and say, how about if we change those things? You already have to put these cows in these three groups in the pig lactation, right? Uh, how about we do a little tweak and you put the top cows in this pen and the low cows in this pen and the rest here. And then we either top dress or change a little bit the diets on each one of those groups. And that actually represented a large amount of money being saved only in, in just talking about those pig lactation, primiparous or multiparous, we were talking about more than $200 per cow per year of savings in feeds. When you compare that to the net income on some of these dairies, that's a tremendous change in net income. That makes, that breaks, makes or breaks the, the, the whole year uh, uh, profitability of, of a farm, for sure. It, it could. You know, one, one thing, and I was in extension a long time, and we talked about grouping for a long, long time. Farmers tend not to do it. I mean, they, and what are some reasons? One is they don't, they, they're convinced when you move a cow, you're going to lose substantial amounts of milk. I know you've talked about that in some of these papers. So what are some of the roadblocks and what could we do to convince them that it's, you know, there are costs to grouping. These are not free. You have to move cows, you have labor, you have more ingredients. So, so what, what are some things we could do to overcome some of these roadblocks? Yeah, ex excellent, excellent point. Because uh, I, I, I wonder the same. I, mean, I think, I think in, in our mind, uh, working on this for a few years, it is clear that there is a value here and there is an opportunity here. And, and we find difficult to understand the rationale why there is not a wide adoption or wider adoption of grouping. I do think there has been some movement. Uh, we are different than 10, 15 years ago that was very predominant, just one TMR. It has been changing, but I think there is an opportunity to keep more change. Uh, we did in I think this was in 2015 within this large project of the feed efficiency led by um, uh, uh, Mike Van der Haar, uh, group. We did a survey in, in Wisconsin and Michigan. Uh, I think we, we sent the survey to about 2000 farmers. And the, the, the main idea was to find out what, what were the roadblocks for grouping for those farmers. And we found interesting things. I mean, one thing we expected was exactly that. They, there is a fear that moving cows more frequently will decrease their productivity. Uh, another thing was just management. We, we don't want to do this, uh, this extra labor and this management every single week, right? And, and so I think those things are Yes, important from the standpoint of view of the, the, the management of the farm, but I think we can overcome those things. Uh, I think we, we should be able to, to easily manage those things on the farm. And regarding the, the loss of, of production of, of the animals, actually in the review paper, 
there is an interesting paper. There are many actually that demonstrate that if there is a, a loss, it is short-lived. And, and actually, one interesting thing is if, if the pens like nowadays are large enough, there seems to be that the social hierarchy being lost, it's so small that it's uh, barely noticeable. The paper of uh, Randy Shaver and Swald, uh, they, they actually didn't change that. They just moved cows and the pens were larger than 60 cows, each one of those pens. And, and actually the, the conclusion was there was no loss of milk. So, so I think uh, there, there are good arguments to say that probably farmers will not suffer for decrease of milk production regarding the management and the extra labor. Yeah, there would be an extra cost, but I think in the big scheme, if we compare with the potential savings only, uh, the gains are much higher. And if we put on top of that, the extra milk production, the gain in health and the environmental um, benefits, I think there is much more to gain with the nutritional grouping. We'll probably have to break down some uh, barriers along the lines of uh, grouping cows according to being in a breeding pen, pregnancy and whatnot too, because that's such a, you know, such a big part of the, the dairyman's day. Yes. Uh, you know, those are the things that, that I think that'll have to be worked through. But it, it, the way it sounds in, in this data seems to share that uh, uh, well worth it financially. Yes. And, and I think, I mean, going to, to, to that point, uh, nutritional grouping is, is an effective way. I, I think we should try to promote. I, I, I'm looking always for ideas how we can encourage more farmers and practitioners and vendors to promote more. Uh, but there are, I mean, other things we could also do. And part of the review there is, for example, even within the structure we have of grouping on the farm, doing more frequent diets will help. Uh, if, if, we, if we keep feeding cows as we are doing in groups, uh, there is a, a trend in Europe. I have been a few years back doing a sabbatical in, in Spain, and, and there are a lot of movement towards more precision feeding. And even though you will not be able to do a diet for each cow, you could supplement in robotic and even in, in, in the rotatory nowadays, you can, you can add additional uh, uh, nutrients to the animal, right? Actually, one interesting uh, part of that in, in Spain was they were able, they were, um, they actually adapted a system that is being used in the, in the food, uh, human food uh, industry to actually on the fly to balance four different uh, nutrients when the cow was entering the, the milk, the parlor, right? So I think it took like 16 seconds the cow is recognized with the RFID and they say how much she was producing yesterday and then they adjusted the, the protein ingredient, the, the energy nutrient, they put all together and then deliver the, the feed to that animal, right? And according to your data, it's, it appears that the, you know, the protein requirement being high, you said you'd want to achieve about the 70th percentile. Yes. It seems you could, you know, balance for the 50th percentile on, on NEL and then, uh, you know, somehow stop top dress a protein source or even a exactly even a rumen protected protein source nitrogen source uh, depending upon dietary levels or requirements and that system allows you to actually uh, somehow test the response 
to changes on the top dressing, right? So actually that was the next step we were trying to do, say, okay, this is what she requires. Let's let's increase 10% more. Uh, are we going to expect more, more milk? All right, gentlemen, it just flickered the lights. That means it's uh, uh, closing time. So we're going to get our last drinks here in. And uh, what I'd like to do is ask you guys to uh, kind of wrap up our conversation today and give us you know, one or two takeaway items uh, from each of you that, uh, that a nutritionist or dairy farmer can take away from this conversation today. Our last call question is sponsored by AminoSure XM Precision Release Methionine, the next generation in amino acid balancing. With AminoSure XM, you can save up to five cents per cow per day on your methionine investment. Try it today and receive an additional 2.5 cents per cow per day savings with Belchem's limited time rebate offer. Contact your Belchem representative to learn more. Pete, let's start with you. I think for me, it's uh, when you look at this and look at the economic opportunity, there's just a tremendous economic opportunity. And if you can add with that the the ability, you know, to make cows more nitrogen efficient, you know, a, a huge opportunity for sustainability. And I think this is also something that many, many dairies can do if they have the, uh, you know, the, the uh, management ability, which should be there and, and the drive to make these type of changes. Bill? I'd, I'd like to, one is you don't have to have a, a billion groups. You showed, you know, there's a huge advantage to just going from one to two. And so maybe that's the first step, but you know, the, the economics I think are clear. The, this idea that cows lose milk, it's addressed in here. They don't, most of the time do not lose milk. So there's not a lot of cost, but there, to me, there's huge benefits from, again, just starting maybe small, two groups, but grouping nutritionally grouping clearly is economic excellent dr carrera sure i mean I, I i would like to 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 emphasize two two points that i think are important one i think farmers have a great opportunity to improve in general nutritional accuracy i think there are different venues one of those is nutritional grouping that i think it's very effective and it's very doable in every system basically uh that could be combined with better uh, diet formulation. Uh, and I think that can and should be adapted to the practice of the farm in order not to disturb too much. That hopefully will help with the adoption of improving uh, nutritional accuracy in general. And the other thing I, I, I want to mention is uh, Another big opportunity we have nowadays is all the data flowing in the systems on the dairy farms. And I think that's very valuable. That gives us additional hints on better nutritional accuracy of, of the animals. So I, I think uh, we should also foster on better use of those data that I think it's very valuable to, to improve nutritional accuracy in general. Bill, I want to congratulate you. This has been a great topic. Uh, good topic, great, uh, better guest. And so I want to thank you for that. Uh, also, thank you, Dr. Cabrera. You've been a great guest. You can come back to the uh, Real Science Exchange anytime. So thank you for coming. Thank you very much. Also want to thank our loyal listeners uh, for spending some time with us once again here at the Real Science Exchange. I hope you learned something. I hope you had some fun. And I hope to see you next time here at the Real Science Exchange where it's always happy hour and you're always among friends. We'd love to hear your comments. 
or ideas for topics and guests. So please reach out via email to anh.marketing at balchem.com with any suggestions and we'll work hard to add them to the schedule. Don't forget to leave a five-star rating on your way out. You can request your Real Science Exchange t-shirt in just a few easy steps. Just like or subscribe to the Real Science Exchange and send us a screenshot along with your address and t-shirt size to anh.marketing at balchem.com. Balchem's Real Science Lecture Series of Webinars continues with ruminant-focused topics on the first Tuesday of every month, monogastric-focused topics on the second Tuesday of each month, and quarterly topics for the companion animal segment. Visit balchem.com slash real science to see the latest schedule and to register for upcoming webinars.